We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters, from run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. It's a busy day. Both of our lives. I got the Fantasy Football Draftathon going on at CBS Sports, so check that out if you haven't heard me yet. Tweet about it constantly. We got an awesome thing going on tonight starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. Who knows when you'll be listening to this. It might already be going on, but it's an awesome draft-a-thon. It's going to be six hours straight of fantasy football coverage, all to a great cause for St. Jude's. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing well, man. Best of luck with that, dude. That's a great cause you guys are uh, really raising money for. Who knew Dan Schneier was such a philanthropist? Yeah. Well, listen, I try to be. I try to do good things in this world. Easier sometimes than others. This one wasn't organized by me. I just get to participate, so that's easy, but still for a great cause. Today we're going to do a little bit of an update on the Giants roster. Obviously, we said it would be fluid. It has been fluid. The Giants claimed three players, so let's start there by breaking them down one by one. Let's start with the most exciting one by far. At one point, talked about a potential day two pick for the Giants. I never liked that. At one point, talked about a potential late three, early four for the Giants. I was a little warmer in that. But now it's just a free pass. It's a free square. They got to claim Quincy Roche, edge prospect from the Steelers, somebody we talked about a lot in the pre-draft process for a free square. It didn't cost them anything. Now, it does ring a little bit of alarm bells for me, Nick, when a team that runs not a similar system, but at least somewhat similar in the sense that they have basically a 3-4 base, decided to pass on him like the Steelers, especially after you know losing some depth there on the edge. I'm never going to get too excited about these back-end guys the teams are passing on, but I am a little bit excited, I'll be honest, about this square, about this pickup, because it's like a free square. It's, I mean, it's like you're getting a guy who's basically a mid-round talent for your specific system, a good fit for the Patrick Graham system. I wouldn't say he's a great pickup for other teams, but for our system, it feels like a solid pickup. What do you make of this one? 
I definitely agree. I mean, Quincy Roche was somebody we talked about quite often because we watched a ton of Gregory Rousseau. Well, actually, more specifically, Jalen Phillips because Roche was actually at Temple when Rousseau was playing there. He was a transfer from Temple to the University of Miami at a total of 137 tackles, 39 for a loss, 26 sacks in college. I mean, look at him, man. He has some pretty good short area quickness, can hold up at the point of attack. He's not known as an edge setter, but he has. I think that's something that he can develop. I think he's probably somebody who may have a little bit more upside than someone like an O'Shane Zimenez in that area, but he does have some flexibility in his lower half. He was productive in the ACC. Quincy Roche last year at Miami had 36 total pressures, and then 2019 at Temple, he had 68. He finished his college career with 175 pressures so this is somebody who knows how to rush the passer i remember just going over his film somebody who had a lot of different pass rushing moves used his hands well had violent hands can get to the half man can corner and bend through contact at the top of the arc which you love to see and he had a solid array of counter moves so i think this is a a prospect that like just looking around steelers twitter some of them are a little bit upset that he didn't make the final 53-man roster and steelers tried to kind of slip him through their waiver system and that didn't end up happening so the giants who have probably been the most active team on waivers right now end up actually getting a player like quincy roche who honestly has more upside than someone like trent harris in my opinion yeah, no doubt about it. I feel like this is a great move, swapping out Roche for Harris. Obviously, we talked about Harris making the roster. That was short-lived because they felt like they can upgrade with Roche. I think specific for this system, the Giants are actually getting a, uh, an upgrade here. Someone I'm excited about, but almost equally excited about one of their other claims. They made three waiver claims. We knew they would. Dave Gettleman has been very active on immediate waivers following the initial uh, roster cutdown over his entire tenure. Um, that was Colin Johnson, the wide receiver. We talked a lot about him out of Texas last class. Remember he made our sleeper list on our podcast, uh, you know, two, you know, 12, 14, I'm sorry, 15 months ago when we were talking about the 2020 draft. He had some good moments for the Jaguars last season as a rookie. He also worked with Mike Glennon, who the Giants ultimately ended up signing to be their backup. So it makes sense to me. They were watching Glennon Tate, and they saw this guy flash. So that's probably why they had him on their radar. Again, it does strike alarm bells. Not alarm bells, but I'm not going to let it be lost that a team like the Jaguars, who aren't exactly the beacon of wide receiver depth, let this guy go. But I'm still a little bit excited because he's six foot six, long player, someone we were excited about as a sleeper in the last class, and maybe insurance policy for a Galladay because he can kind of offer some of the same things, obviously at a much lower degree and a lesser level. What do you make of this scoop? He's a poor man's Kenny Galladay, maybe even slightly bigger than a Kenny Galladay. Saw 30 targets last year, caught 18 of them for 272 yards and two touchdowns in the regular season. Did a lot of his damage down the stretch of that year when DJ Chark was kind of fading out of the coaching staff who was about to get fired when he was kind of fading out of their hearts, to be honest. And this is somebody who caught half of his contested catch opportunities last year. He can really climb that ladder, pluck the ball, has insane catch radius, pluck the ball out of the air. And I remember him back at Texas when it was like him and like little Jordan Humphrey as the skilled position players. And Colin Johnson was one who really, really stood out because he is absolutely gigantic and he can move for a pretty big guy too. He's not a total, total stiff out there. So he's somebody that's interesting, but like you said, there's a reason he was released. I'm not a hundred percent sure why he was, but I do find a lot of intrigue in a player like this. Who's only 23 years old. Yeah, for sure. I mean, young, somebody we talked about as a potential sleeper, a good scoop, I think. These are two good scoops. And then a player I'm less familiar with, maybe you have a little bit to add on, that's linebacker Justin Hilliard. 
Yeah, Justin Hilliard. I mean, I watched Ohio State's linebackers last year. They had guys like Tuff Moreland there, who was just a liability at, athletically, but was an, a very intelligent type of linebacker. Justin Don't Hilliard. Talk down about the Borlands, Nick. The Borlands, first of all, actually, yeah. yeah. If you're going to talk down about a Borland, make sure it's tough because obviously, Chris Wisconsin Badger, my boy, arguably was on track to be like a Patrick Willis like impact inside backer, and then just retired at like 24. But you know what? Actually, never mind because Tuff should have went to Wisconsin. The fact that he didn't follow in his brother's footstep, you can talk crap about him. I love the 180 that you just pulled there. I was a little confused as to why you were coming at me about Tuff. Yes, Chris was a much better prospect than Tuff was, but Justin Hilliard is a player who was at Ohio State for five years and was just a bit special teamer for most of it. And then by his uh, senior season in 2019, he ended up seeing the field for over 100 snaps. In his redshirt senior season in 2020, he had 231 snaps. He was out there a lot in the early downs, but he's somebody who I felt like was a solid athlete, a little bit undersized, six foot one, 231 pounds. Didn't do a film evaluation on him, just saw him when I was looking at other players among the Ohio State defense. And he had what he had a total of 30 tackles and 18 stops last year and kind of missed some of the season. And remember last year was also weird because COVID happened. So the big 10 didn't start until maybe a little bit later on. It seems like according to pro football focus, Justin Hilliard played from week 10 all the way to the college championship game where Ohio state lost to Alabama. We all remember that he had seven tackles in that game, but this is more just because I think the giants linebacker depth is really, really abysmal. This was a probably a player they felt High, high enough about probably tried to get him an undrafted free agency because he didn't end up getting drafted and they just lost out and he ended up going to another team and now he has a chance to make this roster but this is the one that I'm probably the least excited about but I did want the Giants to look at the linebacker position and they did so that's one uh, good thing about it I would say yeah always nice to add depth at a spot that right now has you know like you said some of the worst depth on the roster we'll see if he sticks I like you said I'd I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't stick. I actually think Roche has the best chance to stick. Colin Johnson, to me, is another player who might not stick as well, though then they might have a chance of moving to the practice squad. The Giants also cut some players. Dante uh, Dante Bettis, gone for now at least. C.J. Board, gone for now at least. Maybe they feel good enough with what they have on specials. Trent Harris, you mentioned. They added tight end Ryan Izzo to the practice squad. I think you mentioned him on the last podcast, actually, so that was a little foreshadowing. They added Dexter Williams to the practice squad, someone I'm a little bit excited about. I think he's got a little bit of juice as a running back from his days with the Packers. Uh, Obviously, it's a crowded depth chart there in Green Bay, and he didn't make it there. Anything to add on these cuts or the players they added to the practice squad? Yeah, so Ryan Izzo, he's somebody who went to Pope John High School and ended up going to Florida State. Pope John High School was my biggest rival when I was in high school because for whatever reason— Our public schools, because I went to a public school, ended up playing a private school that was recruiting players out of New York. So Pope John and the high school I went to, Lenape Valley, were like huge rivals back when I was in high school. And now Pope John ends up playing all the other private schools. And last I checked, they didn't fare well against some some of the the private schools in New Jersey. Have really, really quality players and coaching. But I'm excited about the Ryan Izzo edition. Obviously, he has connections to Joe Judge. They won a Super Bowl together. Brought him and Jacob Hollister up on the last podcast. Izzo is somebody who is a solid blocker. Uh, from what I remember, I haven't watched a lot of film on him in the last while, though. But here are some of the practice squad guys right now. It's Dexter Williams, David Sills, Matt Cole, Damian Willis, Ryan Izzo, Nakia Griffin-Stewart, Jake Hosman, Chris Myrick, who's a tight end, they also signed with the practice squad from the Miami Dolphins. Nico Lalos, Brett Hagee, 
Jake Burton, Jackson Barton, Kenny Wiggins, so 13. And I, I expect the other Pettis, Board, and Harris, if Pettis and Harris pass through waivers, Board doesn't have to go through waivers, Pettis and Harris pass through waivers, I expect those three to probably round out this list. But again, this stuff is fluid. There's other players getting released. Other players we should probably talk about soon that have been released that may interest the Giants. Yeah, and there's a little bit of breaking news to get to as well. That's the practice squad. Definitely good to go over. I like how, before I get to the breaking news, I do like how the NFL has expanded the practice squad, and that kind of builds more of like a, I kind of want to compare it to like a baseball minor league system type feel. Obviously not to that extent or anywhere near that, but it gives you a chance to let these guys develop. It gives you a chance to let these guys kind of get with the system get with the feel, the culture, everything of that nature. And then if they need to be called on, they have a better chance to succeed. So I definitely like that. The breaking news here is the Giants placed John Ross on injured reserve and Ellerson Smith on injured reserve. No designation yet what injured reserve that is, but as corresponding moves, they re-signed CJ Board. So in the same podcast, we said they cut CJ Board. He's back on the roster. He's re-signed. That's not surprising to me that he came in before Pettis. It's a special teams thing. And then Kreider as well, who we knew was getting moved back onto the roster at some point anyway. I'm definitely disappointed in the Ellerson-Smith situation. I was really hoping he could impact defensively on third downs or obvious passing downs in his rookie year. I liked his getup. I liked his flexibility. I thought he really had a chance to just be a pin-your-ears-back pass rusher, somebody you didn't need to keep in there on obvious rundowns, but just pure obvious pass downs, third and long situations, sometimes second and long situations, two-minute drill type stuff where they're passing every down. I really wanted to see it, and it just seems like, you know, Gettleman slipped a bit when he said <laughs> in a conditioning drill he did something to his hamstring, I believe it was, but it's lingering, and it's continuing to linger, and I just hope he has a chance to make an impact this season. This rookie class, man, Ellerson Smith injured reserve, Aaron Robinson injured reserve, hopefully Aziz is ready for week one, Kadarius Tony, who knows? So just you need more out of your rookies, you really do, especially a team like the Giants who haven't won any games in the last three years. They've won... 15, I believe it is, if that's correct. So, you know, just a little bit disappointing there. Anything to make of that breaking news? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Robinson's on the pup, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Robinson, pup, not injured reserve. Correct. I mean, I think it leaked. The Ellerson Smith leaked because Dave Gettleman slipped up in an interview. And the Kadarius Tony, the fact that it was a hamstring this whole time, leaked because Dan Duggan found some info, found a little scoop on it, leaked it on, I believe, Twitter or something. And according to Art Stapleton, they can return as soon as three games. That's Ross and Smith. We'll see what happens there. Though I'm surprised the Giants even revealed that information. Um, but I think it's after a full three games, by the way. So it would be, you know, week four if they're ready. I think you're probably right, though. Ross is probably a lot closer. We don't even see Smith practicing yet. And then he's going to have to learn the system. So, I mean, at some point you're you're talking about a rookie season that's going to, you know, look, mirror maybe something similar to what we saw from McKinney. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's looking like, which is a big disappointment, but hopefully he can just get healthy. So, dude, any of these tackles interest you? Because there have been a couple of offensive tackles that we've talked about on this podcast that have become available recently, including Terrell Crosby, Jordan Mills, Prince Tega Winoga, Michael Schofield III, and then Adrian Ely. I mean, for me, man, Terrell Crosby and Prince are two names that actually kind of stick out that the Giants might want to investigate. Yeah, I would say this. The problem is I don't think any of them can crack the roster over the three they have, and I don't think they have enough roster space to keep four offensive tackles only. So it's like a matter of would you add them where to the, I guess maybe to try to get them to the practice squad. Crosby is somebody I was interested in the in the draft, but and has actually been decent at times. But, you know, these – and Prince is a guy who we felt like was more boom or bust when we evaluated him in the draft. And if they're moving on, if they're moving on from Prince already, that definitely rings alarm bells for me. Uh, Crosby maybe a little bit, but again, I, I just don't know where the tackle would fit in right now. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. And I do believe it is a, a position group the Giants are still looking to add a body to because you can't go into it with just those three guys as the players who can who can realistically step up and, and, and not be a complete disaster. And, I mean, let's hope that like someone like Matt Parrott won't be that. You know, you need people – behind them even on the practice squad because right now on the practice squad you're looking at a lot of guard tweeners and then Jackson Barton who's a gigantic player who the Giants do like but it would be nice to kind of get another body in there in, in my opinion just to be somebody if something were to happen to any of those big three somebody who could step in and, and be adequate at least yeah I mean that's a great point they need depth I just it's tough it's a tough fit at this stage and these guys feel just I don't know. I just feel like there might be a different route. Not this year, obviously. If they want to do anything to address it this year, this is about it. Do you have any interest in old man Darren Fells, who was just released by the Lions? Yeah, Darren Fells. I mean, listen, at one point in his career, solid blocker, okay receiver. I, I don't have much interest in him right now. I'm fine going with the three that they have. Unless, of course, Evan Ingram has to go to IR, and that brings up a whole nother topic. And then you're like, well... If he's on short-term IR three weeks, I probably don't want to force in a player like Fells. Otherwise, maybe you have to start to think, uh, you know, are those players worth it? They do have Izzo now in the practice squad, so maybe he's a better bet there. Do you have any strong uh, convictions on this? 
No, I wouldn't say I have strong convictions. I think it's he's an interesting player, but he was just released by the Lions. So how how much does he have left? I think he's 36 years old right now. I, I think he's interesting because he is a really, really big body. He's like 270 pounds, and he has been a good blocker throughout his career. But, I mean, he might just be a little bit too long in the tooth. Now, if they brought him in for a workout to kind of see how he was and he actually ended up impressing and he could bring the blocking ability that he was known for, then I would be interested. But, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to, to say that after he was just released by the Detroit Lions. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's get to some news from, you know, a light practice. The good news is, as you mentioned earlier, we saw a video of Adoree Jackson and Josh Jackson. The Jackson Bros, the corners, sprinting, jogging on the sidelines. Kenny Galladay participated in 11-on-11 walkthrough and individual drills. I think Galladay is going to play week one. If I had to bet on any of the Giants playing week one of the big names, it's Galladay. What do you make of those two things? And Barkley, by the way, not facing live contact today. I mean, we're getting down to 10 days. This guy hasn't really done anything. Uh I think it's been a pretty weird plan. If At least if your plan is to play this guy week one, this seems like an odd way to get him back into it. Maybe the plan isn't to play him week one, which really would surprise me at this point. But I, I, it would have surprised me, I guess, two months ago. At this point, I don't even know, man. I'm not 100% certain. I think he'll be out there week one. And Kenny Galladay, you're right. He's the one I feel the most comfortable about. He looked pretty good. He was running routes. And actually, he almost made contact with Saquon Barkley on a one route combination where he ran like a deep curl or something like that go figure right and then Saquon Barkley was running an out route both quarterbacks threw the ball so they could catch it and Kenny Galladay working his way back towards that out route almost made contact with Saquon Barkley I think Tom Rock was the one who who released that video I thought it was kind of entertaining that uh they almost got live contact for Saquon Barkley inadvertently which would have been um you know bad if something were to happen and then there's Kadarius Tony who's also spotted there running some routes participating in individual drills and things things of that nature I'm not 100% certain they they seem like they believe Tony's gonna be there I I'm, I can't say I'm 100% certain about that there's just so much unknown about his injury and the severity of it yeah and even if he's there it seems unlikely he'll have really any role like maybe he'll get like a few snaps in week one versus Denver but if you don't practice all offseason, you're not taking any reps with Jones in the first team. There's no rapport built with Jones. It just seems like a unlikely scenario for them to, I guess, have him in a big role week one. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, I did see a video, though, of Kyle Rudolph running hard cut routes, like 90 degree, plant your foot in the ground, explode off your foot type of routes. He didn't have pads on, but I still think that's a good sign. I think Rudolph will be a good to go for week one, which everything's trending in that direction. He's off the pup and all that, but that's definitely something that interests me. But something that is wild to me, Dan, is is the Shane Lemieux situation where it was reported that he has a partially torn patellar tendon and he's looking to play through it. How is that possible? I don't know, man. Patellar tendon used to be like a career-ending injury, at least when it was fully torn. I remember that was the injury that derailed Victor Cruz's career. I think it's a little different for a receiver cutting and uh, so constantly and having to create separation than it is for a lineman. But I already felt like Ben Bredesen is a better option than Shane Lemieux. I felt like he was a better option going into the draft. I felt like he was a better option last year. He had a really strong preseason. I think I saw Pro Football Focus with a high 80s grade on his preseason. I don't think there's really too much of a chance he's going to be much not a better player in two years, three years, four. Like 
to me, he's a better player. So once he gets accustomed to this system and everything else that you need to be accustomed to to play in the NFL on a new team, I think he, he should step in as the starter anyway, especially if you're trying to trot out there an injured, you know, Shane Lemieux playing through a partially torn patella tendon when he already had issues with his lower half and kind of getting into his past uh, blocking stance and lower half flexibility, explosion, all things of that nature. To me, it seems like a recipe for disaster trotting him out there. Absolutely. It definitely does. And the Giants have two more options now that I feel much more comfortable about than Kenny Wiggins and Ted Larson with Billy Price and Ben Bredesen. And I watched a lot of Bredesen film actually last night after we recorded. And it's you got to take it with a grain of salt because, A, it's not all 22, and, B, it's right. preseason. So it's all against guys who are backups and people who may be getting cut. But I really liked what I saw from a technical standpoint. Thought he had a really, really good anchor, brought the power to the point of attack, had really good hands, fit his hands well, did really well readjusting his hands. And I was more confident – uh, with the film that I watched of him than I was of Billy Price, but that to me is only because Billy Price was going up against actual starters and Ben Bredesen wasn't, but I didn't see as many technical flaws, the leaning, the lunging, the the lowering the head uh, that I saw with Billy Price. But again, that could be because the level of competition that that's, that can't be, you know, overstated. Yeah. You, you just don't know, but I think he's shown a lot, not just in the preseason, but on his college film. And obviously, we evaluated that. We were decent fans of his coming into the draft uh, last year anyway. So, I don't know. I have some level of excitement there. Did you get a chance to see Brandon Thornton's breakdown of uh, Andrew Thomas's sack? I thought it was interesting, kind of that been circulating around Twitter. What, what do you make of kind of Thomas right now as we head into week one? I didn't see – actually, I think I saw it, but I, didn't, I don't know if he came out with an extensive video. It was like a nine-second video, I think, is what I ended up seeing. And, uh, I mean, I think the quote was something about how he needs to use his hands, his body, and his feet in unison. And that's just so well put. I mean, all of those things have not happened consistently for Andrew Thomas. We saw glimpses of it last year where his feet would move, his body would move, he was controlled, he maintained a low center of gravity, he, his footwork wasn't all, like, you know, wonky. And he would strike with his hands, bring his feet underneath him, strike, recoil, sit back on his hips if he had to use his anchor, readjust his hands. Those are all things we haven't seen uh, in this in that preseason game. We just saw terrible technique where his feet were all over the place, his hands, there was no confidence in it. We talked a lot over the offseason about confidence in your punch, confidence in your technique, and how Andrew Thomas developed that down the stretch last season after Mark Colombo was fired, and we didn't see that in the preseason. So what the heck is going on? So, I, I mean, you're heading up against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, and then week two you have Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So, like, the Giants need to figure this out, and Andrew Thomas needs to be right. And if he is not, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah, again, it's – I think it's like – here's the deal with Thomas. The reality check is this. He was one of the worst tackles in the NFL over the first seven games last year by just about every metric. The film that we evaluated on a week-to-week basis, me and you literally spending hours in total watching this guy on film over a 16-game season, 17 straight weeks with a bye in there where we watched previous film of him. And it's not just like he was mediocre or bad for rookie. He was one of the worst in the NFL. You can't say that about Jedrick Wills last year. You can't say that about Mekhi Becton, who's basically only knocked last year, with the exception of a few reps here and there, was injuries. And obviously you can't say that about Tristan Works, who was playing at an all-pro level in my mind, and a lot of people felt he should be the rookie of the year. I was listening to an offensive line podcast from Brandon Thorne last night, 
old one. He said he at this point, Worfs is one of the four most exciting players he enjoys watching on film. He the other three were Trent Williams, who in my mind is still like arguably one of the best assets in the NFL, Quinton Nelson, and Zach Martin. Those were the four. And it's just like Thomas wasn't listed in that and he wasn't anywhere close. And the reality check is he was awful in weeks one through seven. And yeah, he was better the second half, but he was basically average or slightly above average if we're being nice. Giants Twitter has turned this like into a whole thing where he was amazing in the second half. He was not amazing in the second half. He still has a long way to go. It's obviously not there yet. I actually talked to a college coach who I obviously cannot reveal his name. He asked me to keep it off the record. These coaches don't want to be you know, on paper with any of this type of stuff. But I asked him to look at this specific rep. He said he has a little bit more patience in his kick than he did last year. He has a high outside low or a high outside, low inside hand position on this rep to start, which he thinks is solid, the coach said. But his first punch, he often gets overextended, or here he gets overextended a hair and then feels like he has to open the gate to recover. This is one rep, but I remember last year it was like no plan and sloppiness. This one looks like he loses, but is fundamentally working to a much better place. The coach says, I think he says he will get there, I bet. So what did you make of that? Do you feel like he's at least improving fundamentally speaking and that could give him a better chance to be good this year? I didn't necessarily see a lot of fundamental improvement in that one preseason rep, if that's what we're referring to. But if we're talking about over the entirety of last season, then absolutely we saw some fundamental uh, improvements with Andrew Thomas that helped stabilize his game. But that's also because there was really nowhere to go but up. (laughs) the beginning of last season. It was pretty bad last season, man. If we, I mean, like and a lot of people are like, yeah, he really struggled to protect the inside, which was his biggest issue. But he was getting beat around the edge, too. He was. And I think another reason why he was getting beat inside so often was because he was scared to get beat around the edge. So he overcompensated a little bit and left that gate open for those inside moves that just kind of plagued the Giants for those first seven weeks of this season. I mean, I'm not. We're not writing him off, obviously. Here, I think Andrew Thomas still has a lot of upside, but he has to kind of put it all together. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to be really excited to watch every single one of his games. Hopefully, the All 22 is going to be back by that point. I, I don't know about you, Dan. I hate looking around Twitter and seeing the. Uh, I don't know. I guess the Twitter elites or whatever the hell we want to call them who have the All 22 breaking down stuff, and I'm sitting here like damn bro like get me some all 22 film please yeah i know i know it's crazy i don't know what the deal is with that and how they're getting it um i don't know if that's through game pass or through another source i know mark has it schofield has it so that must be nice yeah, i'll <laughs> slide into his dms and ask him what the heck that's yeah. about <laughs> but it yeah. should be coming back game pass says it's coming back for week one and it's going to be the same as last year. We'll release the day after or maybe the morning of Tuesday Eastern time. So hopefully that's uh, that's something that we can rely on. And I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Agreed. Anything else to touch on from today's cuts, the roster movement, the players they added, or the practice? Nah, just it's still a fluid situation. This could look different tomorrow. So just pay attention to Twitter and we'll be uh, – We'll be here to provide the content on what's actually going down with this team. I'm wondering what that final 53 is going to look like heading into week one. Who they're going to promote from the practice squad. I still have a lot of questions. Who's going to be ready? Is Shane Lemieux going to actually be ready for this game? Is Evan Ingram going to actually be ready? Saquon Bart? There's a lot of question marks right now heading into week one. Not a great sign. Yeah, the bigger questions to me are more so are the big names that can make an actual impact on the season in my mind. 
going to be ready to perform at a high level week one than these back end roster movement types. At least that's for me. I mean, we're talking Galladay, Barkley, Tony, Rudolph, Lemieux. I mean, it's insane. And and Thomas. Now we have to throw Thomas into the mix. On all, this is all offense too, by the way. It's like the defense. I feel so fine about. Doesn't even matter. I don't care. You know, Adoree looks like he's running out there. I think Adoree's going to be fine. I think he just rolled his ankle. And even if he's not, like at least you can cope with it because they have other talent. The, the offense right now is a total uncertainty and just crazy to get this close to a week one with this much uncertainty. But I think that's what it's going to be like with Joe Judge. I just don't think they're going to offer too much info on that to the public, which is fine. Like we really, it doesn't negatively impact the team. It just kind of hurts us from knowing. But we'll wrap up there. I want to add one review from iTunes because we did get a question from iTunes finally. So remember, if you want to support the podcast, please, please go to iTunes, go to leave a rating and a review, give us five stars, write your name in and write your question in. We'll answer it on the show. Also follow us on Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter, and on YouTube, type in Big Blue Banter. You'll see the logo. You'll know it's us. Nick did a breakdown of Andrew Thomas's preseason game. As it relates, as it translates moving forward to the regular season, definitely worth checking out. But here's a question from Fularen. Fularen says, great insight. Thank you both for your analysis and insight. I am now an informed consumer of the game. I hope you guys own a stock in Game Pass because I just signed up to follow your great analysis. Here's my question. I noticed the top-notch quarterbacks are able to see and throw simultaneously from multiple platforms while it appears to be a time lag with Daniel Jones. The ball is either behind the intended target or the window is closing by the time he releases. Can that get better or is that innate? So just a timing issue. I do believe a timing issue can get better, but you would, I mean, at this point of his career, second offense, there are excuses that, that you can give Daniel Jones that don't that aren't I think reaching too far, but they're still excuses, and there are still mistakes with timing that Daniel Jones makes, specifically when he has a pre-snap conviction, and that pre-snap conviction doesn't jive with what actually happens post-snap, and that's where Daniel Jones, to me, and a little for you, Dan, as well, struggles the most. If that first read isn't there, and he's a little bit fooled, he can burp the baby a little bit, hold on to the ball too long, and next thing you know, the tackles collapse on him, and it's a sack. So. I think it can be learned with more reps, with more comfortability in the offense. And that also should come with a healthy Saquon Barkley, with a healthy Kenny Galladay, with Kadarius Toney, if they could find a way to implement him. You should become more confident and your offense should be a little bit more efficient with better players. That's not ridiculous to kind of think or say or speculate on. But it's not something that's certainly going to grow. Development is not always linear here. So, I mean, we're going to be watching it week in and week out. And if we keep seeing mistakes like, oh, he missed Devontae Booker on that wide open pass, he should have threw it even though there was pressure. He's going to have to get better at uh, kind of sussing through that entire situation, get quicker internal clock and, and quicker processing just overall. Yeah, I would say that I'm pretty on, online with what Nick said. The only thing I would add is that there is a component of arm talent that is in the picture here because if you have more velocity on your throws and if you can put balls in spots that are tighter windows, not just based on velocity, arm talent is not just purely velocity. It's also trajectory. It's also the ability to change your trajectory and put the ball in interesting spots 
from off, not always from an, a balanced base, but even if it is from a balanced base. Zach Wilson's a great example of this. He doesn't rip the ball completely, but he is able to put the ball in a lot of different spots by changing trajectory and his release point. Uh, he's got an incredibly quick release as well, which helps him as well. Release is also a factor here. I mean, if you have a quick release, you're gonna speed. It's gonna speed everything up for you. You're gonna be able to fit the ball into those w- windows, and those windows won't come as tight. So part of the issue for me is his arm talent for sure, but that's less of the issue. I mean, he has capable arm talent if he has the timing right from the mental processing standpoint. Um, But the reality situation is, if we're looking at this as real analysts and not fans, he was a one-read quarterback at Duke. They didn't ask him to do almost anything from a processing standpoint. That offense was snap the ball, get rid of it pretty damn quickly. It was a lot of RPO. It was a lot of screen type stuff. It was zone read. And then he came over to Shermer's system, and he had a nicely designed, quarterback-friendly, rookie-friendly system there. He had a lot of half-field, high-low reads. Jones did a good job with it. But when you break it all down, Nick, and you could tell me if you think this is wrong. I'm interested to hear if you don't think this is wrong. We can put a lot of lipstick on the pig, but reality was he was still basically a one-read quarterback with Shermer. It was just easier reads for him, and Shermer's system was much easier for him to read. And I guess harder for defenses to figure out than Pat, than Jason Garrett's was, and until this point, he's still proven to me only to be a one-read quarterback. When what he thinks he's going to get before the snap is not there after the snap, he has slow eyes, he has a slow internal clock, and he isn't quick to move through and figure out what is there based on how the defense rotated post-snap. That can get better, but I do think there is a natural element to it. I think part of what makes Tom Brady so unbelievable is his ability to process post-snap. And I don't know if that's learned or if he just naturally had it. There's other examples. Drew Brees, I remember we had Schofield on either two or three years ago, not this past one, Nick. And Schofield was basically like, those two guys are the best at it. When those safeties rotate post-snap, those guys are able to flip their shoulders and just know exactly where the ball should go. And so I don't know how much of it is learned, how much of it can be improved. It certainly, though, can be improved. Every quarterback in the NFL can get better at this. Yeah, those are two of the best examples of guys though who they didn't have that necessarily coming into the NFL it was developed now they might have been a little bit further along than Daniel Jones and I'm not going to say Daniel Jones is just a a one read quarter I think he's more than that I just think he needs to be better when he goes through other progressions I mean we saw even in Pat Shermer's scheme it wasn't always just one read either like there were times where he worked full field reads it was just more of a half field offense than what Jason Garrett is doing and I think that did jive a little bit better with a young quarterback like Daniel Jones but I do believe he can be more than just a one-read quarterback and that he has shown that already it's just not to the level of you know great quarterback play quite yet and and you can say that about a lot of things with Daniel Jones I mean he's not to the level of great quarterback play in terms of feeling the pocket even though he's done a better job even though he did a better job with it in year two in terms of taking care of the football. I mean, that's just been up and down. That's an absolute roller coaster. I think at the end of last season, we saw him be better with that situation specifically after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers loss on Monday night football. And then he ends up getting injured. And now we saw in the preseason kind of rear its ugly head, but again, it's preseason, but those mistakes are, they could translate to Sunday in the regular season. So there's a lot of stuff that I don't feel like he's necessarily, uh, you know, he's not great at, but I, I don't want to sit here and say that he's just a one-read quarterback. He, he, he can get the progressions and, and, and find guys sometimes. It's just not consistent enough. Well, that's what I, I want to make clear. I don't think that – I think we might have a different definition of – first of all, I don't think that he's locked in as a one-read quarterback. I was not trying to say that. I'm not saying that's all he can be. He can be anything. He could turn into a really good processor. Who knows? 
I just think as of right now, we might disagree there. I do think as of now, he is predominantly, again, a one-read quarterback. That doesn't mean he doesn't have full-field progressions or moments where I see him make really good reads. I would say when I say he's a one-read quarterback right now, what I mean is relative to the good quarterbacks in the NFL. Relative to the good quarterbacks in the NFL, he's doing it a lot less. Relative to the good quarterbacks in the NFL, he's finding himself in more spots. This is just my opinion, by the way. He's finding himself in more spots where he's locking onto that first read, and when it's not there, he's not moving fast enough or on time enough to get the playoff, to get the ball out, to make a play for the offense. So it's not that he hasn't shown any signs of it. It's that he hasn't shown enough signs of it yeah, for me. And that's fair. That's fair, too, because what he has shown the ability sometimes, but it has not been overly consistent. The offensive line doesn't help. Garrett's system doesn't help. But at the end of the day, you have to try to overcome your current situations. And football in the NFL stands for what? Not for long. So if he can't do that, especially if Dave Gettleman's no longer the general manager, then, I mean, it's not going to be great for Daniel Jones' long-term outlook as an NFL quarterback. And it is crazy because it's like I do definitely think that it's going to be – you know, it's he doesn't have a good hand here. Like we are big proponents on this podcast that system and – well, that offensive line is first, system is second, and then receivers probably for – or I'd probably say receive or weapons, let's call them. There's probably second over system, I guess, but he's – in most systems, but you're just dealing with, in my mind, just a bottom barrel system with Garrett. It's almost as bad as it gets. I don't see many offenses that are running worse systems than Jason Garrett is right now. And there's even evidence of it. I mean, like literally he had to, they had, the Cowboys had to turn the offense over while he was still head coach. And he was, he had an offense locked in there. They turned it over to Kellen Moore and it exploded. Like Dak went from a game manager to one of the most prolific passers in the NFL. The moment that Garrett's offense was shut down and they went to Kellen Moore's offense. And so there's evidence there. There's evidence from the 2020 film and it sucks because we're going into a season with continuity instead of, in my mind, innovative, good offensive play calling and system. And I just don't really think I see too many systems around the NFL that are worse than this right now. Like maybe if McCarthy was still running Dallas offense, which he's not, and they're still running the slants flat stuff with McAdoo, maybe that would be it, but that's not there either. And some people have said they don't like what they've seen from urban so far in that offensive system, but I want to give them a little bit of time. They might've just been holding it back in the preseason there in Jacksonville, but He's going to go into this year with a bottom barrel offensive system and likely a bottom barrel offensive line. So it, it does suck. It's hard to judge a quarterback when that's the case, but that's what we're going to have to try to do. And ultimately, like you said, it's not really, it's going to become a, ma- a math question at some point, Nick, for me, when it comes to Daniel Jones' future. The math question is this. Do you want to double down and allocate a lot of your cast space to a guy has, who has independent of the offensive line and independent of the offensive system displayed average arm talent and poor processing? That's the question you're going to have to ask yourself because you have to say, well, is the poor processing because he doesn't trust his offensive line? Is the poor processing because the system sucks and guys aren't getting open? Is the arm talent good enough? And if he had a better system, he'd be able to move through his reads faster. He'd be able to process faster. Things. If he had a great offensive line, he'd just be able to sit back there and wait. It's fair. It's fair to ask all those questions. It really is. And that's going to be the difficult thing that we're going to probably have to answer this season, offseason, unless the offense is a lot better than it looks right now. And we'll be right here to answer it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to figure it out, man. It's gonna—it's a math question, though, because you either restart that rookie contract and you save a ton of cap space, or you double down and you give Daniel Jones a, a Jared Goff-type contract. Because, again, like if the Giants re-sign Daniel Jones, if let's say the Giants' offense takes a step forward, or I guess, or they just win eight or nine games in the back of their defense, 
you're you're looking at a big deal. It's like the, the guys who sign new deals. It's it's not like they get. There's no discount, you know. No, there 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 isn't, and you want to reset the market. And he's not going to get Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen type money, but you're still looking at eating a lot of cap. And Daniel Jones, as of right now, has not proven that. The Giants still have some time. They have to make the op, you know, pick up the option next May or, or not pick up the option. So there is still some time. But I mean, this is a. Whew, I mean, it's it's cliche at this point, but it is a make or break year. Yep, no doubt about it. And this is long-term stuff. Let's focus on the short-term now. It's all we have for today. We'll be back very soon to talk more Giants football with you. We got a game coming up soon, almost just a little bit over a week. It's starting to get excitement. Let's let that excitement build for this defense and hopefully this offense. Let's see what can happen. Until then, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.